This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of At The Turn, a mini Ryder Cup preview playing from the Red Tees. And am I a terrible golfer? Nick, this is all coming up in today's episode. How are you, my friend? I'm I'm doing very good. Um, this am I a terrible golfer topic, I was not prepared to discuss, and it, it feels very targeted, Joe. No, I wish I wish we were talking about you, but it's actually <laughs> primarily about me. I'll get to that in just a moment. But first I have to employ everybody. This is the last time I'm gonna do this for this particular gimmick. It's been wildly successful. Please rate and review at the turn. Leave who you think is going to be the lead individual point score in the 2023 Ryder Cup, which is coming up this weekend. Is it going to be Vic? Is it going to be Max? Is it going to be Justin Thomas? Let us know who you think is going to be the top points getter overall in the competition. If you're right, our friends at Piper Golf will send you a free box of golf balls. If you can't wait, Go to Piper.Golf, use promo code TURN10 at checkout. Nick, I know we're going to do a little mini preview later, but are you prepared to give your prediction of who is going to win the competition and who your top point scorer is going to be, or is that going to be later, or are you just not going to give it at all? Uh, I can give it right now. You ready for it? I'm ready. Europe's going to win. John Rahm is going to be the top point scorer. Oh, wow. Okay. I love that. Do you? I- <laughs> Yes, I don't. I don't love that result, but that's just that's well, just how I feel. As it's been well documented, I'm uh, all in on Team Europe. I was as of two months ago. Uh, I also think Europe is going to win. I'm going shock. I think it's going to be Victor. I think Victor is just too hot right now. Um, he's going to get the most opportunities. I love looking farther down the board on certain players, but they just don't get a lot of chances. Like I bet on Max Homa to be the top points earner in the president's cup last year he won all of his matches he went four and oh but other players had five matches and so he wasn't able to get it done so i know you're going to be tempted by like a ludwig aberg but he's probably not going to get out five times something to keep in mind nick i'm very sad about this it's time for the handicap report brought to you by blue tees get the number one range finder in the game the three max from blue tees use promo code turn at checkout when you're doing it that's t-u-r-n for 10 percent off any product at blue tees blue tees play different would you like to go first i i would like to go first uh okay. no update for me still riding the high of the um of the exceptional score adjustment <laughs> yes. um that that high i'm quickly coming down from that i i will be teeing it up within the next 24 hours so the the handicap will move one way or another hopefully the good thing about being having a handicap that's like creeping mm. up into the mid twenties is that it actually becomes very difficult to to go up any farther from that. Not only do they put a soft cap on your actual handicap that it can only go up fifty percent as much as it would based on your low handicap from last year, whatever, but it's just hard to shoot that high of scores consistently. Like like eventually, right. if you play twenty rounds, like one of them is gonna be is gonna be better than your worst round. So. Um, yeah, we're going the right direction for for mostly those reasons specifically. But um, yeah, we got another round tomorrow. It's the first one I'll play since my since my eighty seven at U of I, which I reported falsely was as an eighty six, but I, I recalculated and it was an eighty seven. So, what are your expectations going into this round? Considering your last one was the best one you had all season, are you wiping the slate clean? You're just kind of going out and seeing what happens, or are you trying to like we're gonna we're gonna 
sweat the PR tomorrow? No, I'm just going to go out there. I mean, I haven't done any of it. I've hardly touched a golf club since then. Um, I sure. haven't done any, any of that, that mental regimen that I was that I was praising. I, I haven't done any of that since <laughs> since the last putt went in. So <laughs> all the things that I did to, to help finally put a good round together or a respectable round together, um, I've completely abandoned. So uh, we're just going to go out there and play some golf. I love it. Um, okay, here's my diatribe. I'm not going to try to make this too long. I shot 88. Um, I was, I was not pleased with how I played after practicing and then, well, I'm going to stop practicing first of all, because I practiced four times between my, uh, round that I played recently and the round before that thinking that it would improve my score. It didn't, it didn't. And then I was watching an Instagram video and that is my first mistake. Like Tiger said, don't watch effing YouTube. Instagram falls into the same category. And I saw one of those golf meme accounts that proliferate social media. And it, he explained why if you're a six to 10 handicap, you are not a good golfer. And I was like, Oh, well, I've lived in that range for a while. I'm very interested. And I watched it and he broke it down and it just sent me into like a 90 second video just sent me into t- like a tailspin of despair because he describes how often you actually have to shoot good scores to be a sub 10. And he said, all right, if you're in this range, do me a favor. Look at all the scores you've shot this year. How many times have you broke 80? And I'm like, oh, well, surely I've, bro- I've, I've played 32 rounds of golf this year. Surely I've broken 80 10 times. I'm an 8.2, Nick. Guess how many times I've actually broken 80 this year in 2023 out of 32 rounds? I would have guessed three. Three, three times. Yes, less than 10% of the time I break 80 on a golf course. And that was a big eye opener for me. And so it's like, I know I'm not horrible at golf, but yes, I think he's very, very correct. If you're between a six and a 10, you're a fake good golfer. And I guess that's just something that I have to accept. My average is 84. Um, and that's and that's just who I am. Am I am I being very dramatic or is I just naive as to my golf skill until this moment? Um, I don't think any of the above. I mean, I guess hmm. I guess like the the large population would be like if you say like I'm a I'm an eight handicap, like, oh, this guy's going out there like threatening even par. But like I think that's the reality. I mean, that whoever posted this video kind of knows how the handicap system works and it's it's different than what people would assume. So right. yeah, if you're if you're an eight. That means that eight of your last 20, so we're talking about 40% of your rounds, even count towards your handicap, which is if you're an eight, you should be shooting like, you know, 81 or 82. The differential is probably right around eight. So half, 60% of your rounds are above that. And if eight is your average, that means that only four out of those eight that are counting are actually below that. So really, it, it makes sense that if you're in the high single digits, that most of your rounds would be in the low to mid eighties. Okay. So I was just thinking about the handicap wrong, basically. Well, yeah, but, but, but don't take it personal. I mean, most people do, they, they think of a handicap as like an average score, but it's, it's, there's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not that, but the fact that there's a 10% chance that you're going to break 80 when you go out and play golf and you, you don't practice and you have a bunch of jobs real or otherwise, um, (laughs) you know, that's completely respectable. It is completely respectable, but even just hearing you say the words, I have a 10% chance of breaking 80. That just feels incorrect to me, but statistically it is correct. So I have like most golfers, I'm just an average dickhead who has an overinflated sense of how good I am at the game of golf. So well, no matter what I'm, your handicap is, 
I think we all fall into that. I mean, I, I am a 23.3 and I, I fall into that category, Joe. And I, and our friend, Brian Romy, who's like a 1.2 yeah, also falls into that category. So I think that applies to everybody. I mean, that's, that's why we love golf, isn't it? I suppose it is. Okay. No, I, so, I will say this. I will say yeah. this and not to, not to drag it out, but no, please. If you, the only truth to that is that if I have seen you be a scratch golfer and I, I feel like if you just said, and not that you should do this because you probably have other priorities, but if you said like <laughs> within the next 12 months, I'm going to get back to being like a sub three, I think, I think you could do that pretty naturally. I think so too. And I've thought about it, but then I thought about like, all right, do I want to practice over the winter or not? That's step one. Do I want to get lessons? Do I want to go hit balls four days a week? And the answer to all those is no. So I suppose I just right. have to accept like, hey, I've played 33 rounds. I managed to break par once. I've managed to shoot over 95 three times. So it's like, that's just the deviation of where my game is, I guess. Yeah, that's that. That's where it's at. And if you're not going to do anything with being a good golfer, then why be a good golfer? Like, unless you're going to go like qualify for the Oregon Amateur or like try to go to a USGA qualifier, then what's the point of putting all that work in just to shoot like, you know, 73 instead of 83. You know what I mean? Man, that's, see, that's the golf video we need. Guys, who gives a shit if you're good at golf? Go enjoy it, you know? Yeah. And that's your handicap report. All right, we burned through way too much of our allotted time with that conversation. Uh, Blue Tees, promo code uh, TURN at checkout. Um, I'm going to skip this tea time thing, but I do want to talk about the red tea challenge because I am going to do this with my low handicap buddy. And so the genesis of this, I think, was something we talked about last year where Bryson talks about because he's had the 58 on the live tour. And Bryson has talked about very publicly many times that he used to play the forward tees as a youngster. So he got used to going low, making a lot of birdies, being accustomed to being uncomfortable and saying, I'm six, seven, eight, nine under par at this point. And so. I love the idea of doing the red tee challenge because it emphasizes the scoring clubs. If the course is shorter, the one variable that I've started to think about as we get closer to doing this, me and my buddy, she will be playing an easy course or a hard course. My initial thought was play an easy course, but now that I think more about it, I think I should be playing a hard course from the forward tees because what you're taking out is the variable of a difficult opening shot. Right. So if you have a 460 yard par four from the back and it plays 340 from the front tees, that hole's going to be a lot easier. Whereas if you're playing a hole that is 280 from the back tees and like 210 from the forward tees, you're turning that par four into a par three. But are you actually going to make more birdies like if you're 210 out as opposed to 280? Because it feels like you're going to be making more birdies when you're closer. But I think the differential would be more from a longer hole, if that makes sense. I think you're overthinking it. Am I really? <laughs> I mean, it seems, it seems like it. Um, okay. Well, I, my, my sense is the same as, as yours. Like, okay. if the point is to put the lowest number on the on the last column of the scorecard, you should play the easiest course, right? If you want to get comfortable shooting lower scores and, and putting lower scores down, then that would make the most sense. Um and I don't know, like you could get more value compared to the differential or the rating of the course potentially on a more difficult course. But is that what you're trying to do? I mean, I don't know. At that point, it's just like play whatever course you, you want to have fun and like kind of go low at. I mean, that's that's kind of where 
that's kind of what I, what I would do. And I, I, I love this idea. And I actually thought of like, let's, let's have a challenge. Like I, I will challenge you to a red team. Oh. Like, what, what does that look like? Like, do we find a course? Do we find courses in our areas with like the same or a similar red tea differential and just like this. pick a day in or a weekend and, and we have our red tea challenge. So are you saying that we should pick, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same yardage from the forward tees, but the differential between let's say the white tees and the red tees, that raw number of total yards of the course, that should be the differential that we're looking for. Let's say it's 700 yards and we find a course out here that's a 700 yard difference and a car course out there that's a 700 yard difference and we do that or we're looking for like these courses need to be 4800 yards um i don't know i mean we can we can we can elaborate offline but i'm thinking of like what's the slope what's the slope rating uh, uh you know from the red tees what's it rated from the red tees and find something that's similar from that but we can we can like look make sure the yardages are kind of similar you know and whatever yeah. but i think we should have some sort of challenge where we go out and do this and report back and you know we can cap it or whatever we want to do, but like, let's actually have a red tea challenge. I really like this. Um, let's make this happen before the year is out. Is, is that yes. possible for you? Yes. Uh, my, my date for this is, uh, November like 17th. There's a handicap posting season ends November 14th in Rhode Island. So that's oh. like a Wednesday. So whatever the Friday of that week, I will, I will play golf that day, barring snow on the ground from the red tees. Got it. So you will. So basically, the last day you can actually post, you're going to do a red T challenge. After the last day, I can post. I'm oh, not you're posting. not going to have this count towards the handicap. I don't even think. I don't even think the forward tees are rated for men. Like I don't think they you are. Can post. Oh, I've oh, checked. Is that, oh, is that is that right? Okay, well, I have checked. This opens the door. Yes. Um, okay. This we got, is we great. We clearly have some research to do on this. Yes. Let's let's take it offline. Report back next week, and uh, we'll make this happen in the next six weeks. I'm I'm very excited about this. Yes, we're going to do some research. This is going to happen. Red Tea Challenge. Challenge your friends. We've talked about it. Play it forward. This is fun. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, with that, Nick, were you aware that the Ryder Cup is this weekend? I knew it was this year. Uh-huh. Um, and I've been listening a lot to this podcast where there's been some promos about it for the last six months. And so, <laughs> yes, I did know it was this week. And also... Are you aware that the United States has not won a Ryder Cup in Europe in a long time? 30 years? I'm going to say it one more time. This is still my favorite stat. I've said it a few times. The United States has not won a Ryder Cup in Europe since 1993. On that Ryder Cup team for the United States was Raymond Floyd. Raymond Floyd was in his early 50s. Raymond Floyd won a major championship in 1969, the same year that we went to the moon. So there's your context. The last time the United States won a Ryder <laughs> Cup in Europe, one of the team members won a major championship the same year that we first set foot on the moon. That's how long it's been. That's the best. That is the best context you could possibly give. That's my favorite stat. So we don't want to do a full-blown preview. We've actually talked about the Ryder Cup quite a bit on this podcast, more than we usually would. However, three thoughts from both of us. Do you want to ping pong these? I think we should ping pong them. All right, let's go. The first one's easy. Can America break the streak? It's been 30 years since this has happened. This is going to be the overwhelming story the entire week. The U.S. just gets out to a terrible start. They're way behind in singles, and they can't get it done. I don't think the United States are going to win this Ryder Cup. I think they have to get out to a hot start. I think if they get behind early, the whispers are going to happen. A lot of talk from Xander and a couple of the guys of, 
oh, well, I don't really care because I wasn't on those teams. And it's like, all right, you that's that's fine. You can say that. But Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, these guys have never won a Ryder Cup in Europe their entire careers. So Xander Schauffele, like, shut the hell up. Like, win the Ryder Cup. Win the Ryder Cup. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's going to be the number one storyline. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen either. I will say it's it's got to be on paper. Here we are at the week going into the Ryder Cup. A good one of the best chances for the United States. I mean, when you Agreed. look at like how the United States team stacks up to compared to U.S. teams in the past and how the European team stacks up, they're a little bit down. U.S. is a little bit up. That all being said, I do think there's a decent chance. I'm not going to go all in on this, but I don't think the United States gets it done. No, I don't think it's like out of the realm of possibility. And if you look at the pure world rankings, the average world ranking of a U.S. team member is 12. If you take all the world rankings and combine them, total them up, average it out, it's 12. That same for the European team, the average world rank is 30. So there is a substantial difference in terms of world rankings. Now, some of that is skewed Did by Liv. Did you Ricky in that? I did include Ricky in that. Yeah, Ricky. Ricky's included in that. Okay. In that, in that metric. Ricky Fowler, the second oldest member of the United States Ryder Cup team, which is a little bit mind blowing. Okay, Nick, your first one. Um, how much will the home course advantage and the setup be a factor? I mean, that's something that's been talked about more and more the last like four or five Ryder Cups. Is that the the home team gets to basically pick the course and set it up however they want? They put years into this kind of planning and preparation. So the trend has been growing and growing of giving your team an advantage through the course setup. I don't know if that's overblown or if it's not, because there is a different different style of play from the United States to Europe. But at the end of the day, a lot of these guys are playing their golf on the PGA Tour. A lot of these guys are good enough to adapt to either a longer hole or a shorter hole or a more narrow fairway. Like they know what sucker pins are. They know their abilities. I don't know if it's overblown or not. I definitely think there's an element to it. I'm curious to see how much that will play a role, especially as we get into those kind of cup deciding matches on Sunday. You basically have two guys on the European team that play primarily in Europe and they're both rookies, Robert McIntyre, the lefty from Scotland and Nikolai Hokegaard, who's also a rookie. The rest of them are just PGA Tour guys. It's Justin Rose, Aberg, Lowry, Straka, Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, Hatton, Hovland, Rahm, and Rory. That's just those are just PGA Tour guys. So it's not yeah. like the setup is going to be, um, you know, that different or something a style of golf that they wouldn't be accustomed to. But they're all European, so that that will be interesting. Um, my second thought is, what team is going to handle the transition better? This is both sort of a transition phase for both the European and American squads, you have a pile of rookies. Only four members of the U.S. team have played a Ryder Cup in Europe. Spieth, Fowler, Thomas, Kepka. The rest of the guys are either rooks or this is just their second Ryder Cup. So they've never played a Ryder Cup in Europe. A lot of turnover. And from the European side, you have four rookies and Sugar Shane Lowry, this is his third Ryder Cup, excuse me, his second Ryder Cup and Vic Hovland's second Ryder Cup. So you have guys who um, are rookies or never played a Ryder Cup in Europe being on home soil. So there's been a lot of turnover. You don't see Ian Poulter. You don't see Sergio Garcia. No Dustin Johnson. No Phil, obviously. So a lot of guys who have been stalwarts on these teams are no longer there. 
And so you're going through a bit of a transition phase for both squads. It'll be interesting to see which team handles that better. The next one I got. The one element from those of us sitting at home on our couches on Sunday watching the Ryder Cup that determines, like, was this awesome and worth my time or was it kind of a dud? Is will there be a lead change on Sunday? That is what makes a Ryder Cup fun and exciting. You see the scores. You see those live kind of, like, match updates and leaderboards. And then all of a sudden, two or three guys – you know, flip their match at a time and that leaderboard flips, you start racking up those points. And when the lead changes on Sunday of the Ryder Cup, the whole dynamic changes. And that's what's so fun to watch. I, I I don't even, I mean, obviously I care which way it goes, but I just want to see a lead change on Sunday. Yeah, I'm with you there. If there's any sort of comeback, it's very, very exciting. I mean, the most famous Ryder Cup from an American perspective in recent times is the 1999 one because that was the huge comeback and the Justin Leonard putt. And if you have that huge change of, oh, wow, we think it was going to go one way going into the day, and then it flips, that is where the real excitement comes from. And you haven't had one of those in a while. Um, There was one that the Europeans did on American soil this century, but otherwise it has been pretty much chalk on Sunday where you haven't really seen the big comeback. So that will be interesting. My third one, it's the story leading up to the Ryder Cup and the selections. Big, like, I don't know, make-a-wish treatment for this guy for some reason who's won 17 times on tour (laughs) in two major championships. Justin Thomas. Congrats to Justin Thomas, who had a decent week at a fall event on the PGA Tour that got everyone all hot and bothered. Perhaps Justin Thomas will have a really good Ryder Cup and it'll justify the pick. I think ultimately this is going to be a non-story. I don't think the Ryder Cup is going to come down to Justin Thomas. It's just not. It's going to come down to the Hosses, whether or not Xander and Cantlay can be a really dynamic team and win You know, three points as a team. Will Scotty Chef make big putts down the stretch? Is John Rahm going to return to form? Is Victor Hovland going to go 5-0? and Is Tommy going to be a monster? Those are going to be the stories. It's going to be at the top of the board. It's not going to be at the bottom of the board as far as I'm concerned. Right. I can see Justin Thomas going like 1-1-2 one, one, and two if, right. he, if he even gets out there four times, which he probably will because he's because bros with Jordan Spieth. But like it's, it's a complete non-factor at that point. I think so too. Okay, Joe. The Ryder Cup comes down to one singles match on Sunday. Before I even spout off the three that came to mind that like I would love to see, what what is your dream pairing or group match that's going to determine the Ryder Cup? I mean the out of one these that, 24 guys. The one that comes to mind immediately is Rory and Brooks. Okay. To me that comes to mind immediately because it's the little PGA live element. I think it's two guys that would thrive in that moment. And, you know, Brooks has gotten the best of everybody in major championships over the past six years. Rory hasn't won one in 10 years. So can Rory rise to the occasion? Like if, the, if, if we are all tied and there's one hole to play and their match is all square, like to me, that's the most exciting outcome you could possibly have. I think the other one would probably be Scotty versus Rom just because it's the guys who played the best over the last 18 months, two years. And so you're basically getting, it may not technically be number one versus number two, but I think it kind of would feel like that 
if it was those two guys. Um, and then maybe Vic versus somebody, but Vic is, I don't know. Victor just kind of feels like he's doing his own thing. Like I know he's a member of the European team, but everyone seems to love him. He just kind of has that goofy smile. Um, he seems to have the highest Q rating and approval rating of anybody in professional golf right now. So I don't really like, I'd probably root for him, honestly, no matter who he was playing. I just like the guy so much. But those are the two, I think. I think it's Brooks versus Rory and then Scotty versus Rom. Yeah, I had Brooks versus Rory is the first one that came to my mind because I'm thinking, like, what would the golf fans who know, like, what these guys have said in press conferences over the last two years want to see? And then you look at, like, okay, Scotty versus Rom, that was the next one because they have basically been one and two for the last two years since the last Ryder Cup. They've they've been the two dominant players, actual on the course results. So that's like kind of the media darling right there because you have the the one versus two showdown and, and and all that. And then I thought like, who like what is gonna get me to watch the most Ryder Cup? And like that is what Ashley is most interested in. What like what match can I put on that Ashley is like? I can't miss this. And that is Ricky Fowler versus Vic. Like the Rick versus Vic showdown to determine the Ryder Cup is going to get the most households on board with this because that's the best way to convince everybody in your house to watch the Ryder Cup. And that's so important. So any of those three, I would love if we got a Sunday with like even two of those matchups, that would be awesome. Rick versus Vic is good. Yeah, Rick, Rick versus Vic. That's why I wish you could like, pair your guys versus the other guy you know like because right now they just say like joe's number one nick's number two right fowler's number three and like it just lines up how it lines up but the president's cup and and the cool way to do this is to say like oh you're putting you're putting uh, rory out first all right we're gonna put brooks against rory and you get to choose who goes against the other team yeah i completely agree because you have often so many sunday singles matches that are just kind of like eh do i really care if Tommy Fleetwood plays Ricky. I mean, yeah, it's it's fun. Exactly. You're going to get like Max Homa versus, you know, Fleetwood or Shane Lowry. Like those are cool guys in their own. But like, is that like an exciting, like tense matchup? Like Rory Rory versus Brooks. Like that is that is one you want to sit down and like have on your computer and watch like every single second of. Exactly. And I don't know if if there's like a precedent of this. You can tell me, Joe. But like, does any captain like would Zach Johnson be like? We're sending we're sending Brooks out tomorrow. Like let let's see what they do. Like do, do they ever like kind of steer into that to kind of like tip their tip their hand to like try to set up some of these matchups or does that does that never happen? I don't think it really happens because I think so much is put into I think it's overinflated a captain's importance in these events. First of all, um, basically just do the Phil Jackson. Just like let your let your good players do their thing. Stay out of the way. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think they're trying to tip their hand. Um, I don't know, man, you're right. It does from a spectator standpoint though, that would be the ultimate, like reading them out and having that be like what the NBA tries to do with the all-star game where they pick players from a pool and it's like team LeBron versus team Durant. Like that would be really cool. Like make it a televised event, like how they do for the president's cup. Like you said. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's going to be appointment viewing. I'm very excited. I think your second one is is the best one is let's have a Sunday lead change. Let's let's have this thing flip on its head. Um, just 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 have it be exciting. I just want it to be exciting. Yeah, Um, that is the Ryder Cup. Nick, without further ado, it is time for the Mad Golfer of the Week. We're going to the home of golf, the old course at St. Andrews. Our runner up is Murray Horn. He says, quote, 
disappointing and expensive. Customers wearing hats in the dining room. <laughs> That's your runner-up. Thank I you, came Murray. here to see people's scalps, okay? And I'm just seeing, I'm just seeing their hats. Okay. I love okay. it. I'll, I'll, I will. I digress. Go ahead. No, it's great. That's why I put it. It's very silly. Your mad golfer of the week is Joachim Holmberg. This is what he said about the oldest golf course on planet Earth. Quote, anti-climax. Paired with three players who didn't break a hundred in parentheses, who's checks handicaps? Okay, so I gotta I gotta stop you there. Because you just told us that the handicap cutoff is 36. They shouldn't be breaking a hundred on the home of golf. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if they shot 105, they're probably feeling pretty good about it if there are 36 <laughs> <Seriously>. handicaps. <laughs> Back to Joachim. Five hours plus round with four on every other shot. Rude caddies walking when you play. Don't attend the pin. Don't repair pitch marks. Told by the caddies you can't play black tea. It's, quote, tough enough from the forward blue. Scary emoji. I'm a scratch golfer, and this was supposed to be my dream day. Turned into a huge disappointment. Won't be back. <laughs> you, you, you knew when this guy asked who checks handicaps that later on he was going to drop his handicap in there somewhere. I do enjoy when people talk about how good of golfers they are and the circumstances put them in. Just, just put them off. Yeah, someone's got to teach the the caddies at, at St. Andrews, the home of golf, some golf etiquette. Um, I, I just don't know why there are surprises to these people. Like, if you're playing St. Andrews, you should know every layout on this course, everything about this course. And I, I don't know. I just can't. Can you imagine just, like, just, getting out to St. Andrews, being paired with three people you don't know and having four caddies around us being like, all right, who's playing from the tips today? You guys want to push it back? Seriously. You're complaining that it's too long, that it's a five-hour round. Right. But also complaining that you can't play it from farther back. You know what I'm never going to think if I play the old course of St. Andrews? Damn, this is taking way too long. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I, kept, I, got, I just want to be anywhere else except for here right now. It's taking too long. Uh, congrats, Joachim Holmberg. You are our Mad Golfer of the Week. And with that, it is now time for Neck Rolls. Brought to you by Matchstick Golf. Use promo code TURN20 at checkout. Nick rules that actually apply to you, the listener, will return shortly this fall, but not this oh. week. We are applying this week's Nick rules to the Ryder Cup. In case mm. you don't know, you need 14 and a half points to win the Ryder Cup. There are 28 points available. If you secure 14 of those points, the other team secures 14. The Cup is retained by the previous winner. The United States won in 2021. The United States just needs 14 points to retain the Ryder Cup. Again, next week, we'll talk about rules that apply to you, but put yourselves aside. Let's deal with the rules of the thing that we're all focused on this week. The Ryder Cup, you can get it 12 to 1. It's a tie. Two ties in Ryder Cup history, 1969 and 1989. So probably don't take the 12 <laughs> probably, to 1. Probably don't. Probably stay away from really that bet. That is Nick Rules. Um, do you are you going to watch much of this event, or does it depend on Ricky Fowler's involvement? I think it probably depends on Ricky Fowler's involvement. <laughs> I love that. So potentially we'll do a Ryder Cup wrap up, but more likely we'll do a typical episode. You would imagine. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try to watch as much as I can, but even if I even if I watch six hours on Sunday, I don't know how much time we're going to spend talking about it. Maybe some. We'll see. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll do the old play it by ear. It'll be exactly. good. All right, everyone, enjoy the Ryder Cup. If you're between a six and a ten handicap, don't beat yourself up too much. We're going to be fine. Just just go enjoy the game and uh, hey, play the red tees, huh? Suck it up. Play it forward. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at the turn.